Hello and welcome to another episode of Beer Books with me, Daisy Ray. And me, April Berry. On this episode, we have got three flash fiction stories for you. The prompt for this was the photograph, which pretty much leaves the door wide open because a photograph can be of anything or even just the taking of a photograph or the goods to take a photograph. It could be anything. So we had a really good turnout for this writing prompt. It was obviously a popular one. We've had a lot of decisions to make and it took us a while. We've done a lot of reading, haven't we, April? We have. We've read quite a lot of stuff and a lot of it's been really good. There's some that weren't picked for the podcast that I really liked, but you will get to read those in this year's anthology in November. Yes, that's very true. So for today, then, we have chosen three stories for you. The first one is read to you by the author herself, and it's called Blanket Street, and it was written by Ruth Powell. I have got to say the title of that really intrigued me before I even actually looked at the story. Yeah. It's like going up the apples and pears to Bedfordshire and all of that sort of thing, isn't it? I was really intrigued and I was excited when I read the story as well. Yes, it is a very good one, a very, very good one. And Ruth has got a lovely voice, as you'll hear for yourself momentarily. After we've listened to Ruth's story, we've had a story by Sue Hayward called The Twitcher, which is quite an unusual one. Sue is not going to be reading hers, but April is reading it for her. That's correct. I had fun reading that as well, because the more I read it, the more my mind started to wander into, well, I'll let you work that out for yourself because your mind might not wander quite like mine did. Your mind frequently wanders all over the place. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Usually nothing to do with whatever's going on around you. I flip from subject to subject, though, don't I? I do try to keep focus, though, when I'm on the podcast. Well... Whether that's successful or not remains to be seen. The third and final story we've got for you today is called Good Riddance. And it was written by one of our regular writers, Carolyn Ward-Daniels, and she will be reading that one for you herself. Looking forward to listening to all three of these. I've got such an easy episode this time. We've not had to do too much, have we? So let's listen to Ruth tell her story. Oh, yes, definitely. This is Blanket Street by Ruth Powell. Blanket Street. The jar of homemade jam has a handwritten label and you think the writing is familiar. You pick up the jar and take it with you on your unplanned journey up the wooden hill to Blanket Street. Walking up the stairs, you hold the wall for balance as your high-heeled shoes are too tight and hurt. At the summit, you take off the shoes and walk into the empty bedroom, closing the door behind you. You sit on the unmade bed that used to be the bottom of bunks and you place the shoes and the jar of jam on the floor next to your bare feet. You notice some of the wallpaper is coming away from the wall and you realise that someone's been helping it. You tap the paper gently and see a tiny piece of it fall behind the bed and onto the floor. You check under the bed and the boxes of outgrown toys in small wicker baskets slap you across the face. For safety, You return to the upright position on the bed again and take two long breaths to steady your mind. I've had too much to think today, you say to yourself, and you smile that you can still say something funny. The quiet room is giving the cold shoulder to the sounds from downstairs and to the odd laughter and cigarette smoke seeping under the door. You are just about to pick up the jam jar and the shoes that are too tight 
when suddenly you notice the lampshade. How can a lampshade hold so many sagas, remember so many tales, be privy to confidential histories? How can the lampshade, with its age and stiffness and lack of agility, remember the story of the greedy princess? Once upon a time, a greedy princess lived near a lake. She demanded all her suitors bring her jewels to look pretty in and fruits to gorge on. Some brought her diamonds and apples, some brought her gold and oranges, some brought her rubies and grapes. A handsome prince who lived on the mountain brought her a silver bowl full of fresh, ripe blackberries. She ate the blackberries, which were succulent and tender, and begged him to bring her more. I can give you blackberries every day until September, said the handsome prince in his gentle voice. But if we are to live happily ever after, you must love me for my spirit and not my fruits. I will marry you tomorrow, she said. That night, the greedy princess told her guards to follow the prince home, steal all the blackberry bushes from his mountain and replant them in her garden. Then they cast a forgetfulness spell on the handsome prince so that he couldn't remember his way back to the lake. They left the silver bowl outside his door. The greedy princess ate the blackberries all day long and every day, all through August and September. She ate them for breakfast and she ate them for lunch. She ate them for dinner and she ate them for midnight feasts. When the bushes were empty at the end of the season, she waited until they bore fruit the following year. The greedy princess lived happily ever after and never thought about the handsome prince again. The lampshade remembers the story, as does the coloured net curtains, the old sewing machine in the box and the Christmas decorations. Lampshades can make you believe in miracles. They can soothe your mind and they can help you heal. You wonder how this room was ever so small and how these outgrown boxes and smells of memories must be left behind. You pick up the jar of jam and the shoes that are too tight for you and you carry them all downstairs. Ruth, I really like that, but I'm really intrigued about where this idea for this story came from. Um, There's a lake near... when. Um, my family are from Wales. I live in Dublin, but my family are in Wales. And very often we take the kids, the younger kids, to uh, Langos Lake. And there's a there's a legend of a greedy princess on Langos Lake, but there's no story of her. There's no, there's nothing about her. But she's supposed to be a greedy princess, you know, in the time of sort of Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, this kind of thing. But she's always sort of intrigued me a little bit I just I wonder what what was she up to what could have been so greedy you know what was she what was she doing but uh the children in my family they love the lake and you can play around there and it's it's, it's a really pretty part of South Wales you know yeah that's built up a lovely picture of the story and, and where it's come from and and it was the the sort of the princess. It wasn't the happy ever. Well, it was a happy ever after for her, uh, but not for the poor prince. So that really <laughs> intrigued me. Is this the first thing you've written, or or is that something you do quite a bit of? I've been writing for fun for quite a while, and I have a um, a, a blog that I just sort of put put things up on, and and then a little while ago, a friend just suggested that I start submitting to different places and I and I thought okay well I'll I'll I'll, I'll see how I get on and um so this this story is is on its on its maiden voyage really so I'm glad it's found a home that's really exciting for me yeah yeah it's for us too 
we love getting these stories. We have such a variety. It is an honour, really. Have you have you been uh, publishing for a while? This is our fifth season of the podcast, but we didn't start doing flash fiction until season three, was it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So this is our third one, <laughs> flash fiction. Yeah. <laughs> We've decided to do an annual anthology of the stories ah. that get featured on the podcast. Um, mm. The first one came out on the 5th of November, just gone. So that's out already. Um, all the profits, should we sell lots, <laughs> fingers crossed, are going yeah. to the Book Trust UK charity. Brilliant. So that's a nice thing we think to do. It took us a while to decide what to do with it. Well, that's what we decided. And hopefully, yeah. all being well, if it carries on, as successfully as it has done this past year or so, our second anthology will be out this November. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And you'll be in that one. That's 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 amazing. That's terrific. And, and what made you start the podcasts? I mean, is this your background? Is this your... Furlough. Furlough, strangely enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been doing like community radio and, and bits and bobs yeah. for the last decade or so. And... Then doing like mixtape type things. And then my youngest, who is sat behind me, said, you know, you're only a step away from doing a podcast, mum. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. where we came from. That's amazing, isn't it? And loved every second of it. I think this episode will be episode 97. No. That's, <laughs> oh, that's terrific. That's amazing. It is though, is I I think like I don't I don't really think there are any silver linings to this pandemic, but people have made use of some terrible situations. So furlough has produced some great art, actually, hasn't it? Like for me, it's had a silver lining because I mean I've been I've continued to work from home, but all of those people who I thought were friends who've never contacted me all the way out through furlough, it's weeded out the wheat from the chaff. Let's put it that way. It has, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm working from home. So the things that I used to fill my life with, you know, so much of it was just rubbish. It was just complete nonsense, you know? It was yeah. like, oh, you know, you must go for these drinks after work. Why? Why? If you didn't really want to, or why would it? There were so many obligations on your time. And I think now it's sort of, okay, well, how do I spend, like, the day? Because I'm in this room for the day. So. <laughs> yeah. We do we do spend a lot of time at home. We do, but I think you're right. It's got rid of all unnecessary obligations. I actually think for, for the work that I'm doing, Zooms are so much better than those meetings that would go on for too long and were essentially a kind of a little bit of an egotistical kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. So they, they're much quicker. They're much more sort of agenda focused. Bam, 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 do it and then get on with the rest of your day. You know. Yes, I, I agree with that. I do like that story. And thank you again for writing for us. It was lovely of you. Well, it's it's my pleasure, and it'll be it'll be so much fun to to listen into it and hear it. And <laughs> I, mean, I I don't know you you obviously don't have it because you're professional kind of podcasters, but you know the way most people when they hear their voice, there's something quite cringy about it, isn't there? So they're like, oh, is that what I sound like to the other people? Yeah, I won't go into my scientific explanation that I normally give to everybody about why it's different. Oh, is there? There is a reason. There is a yes, there reason. is. Yeah. Oh. 
is because when you talk, because the bones in your ears are moving and you're listening and generating the sound, what you're getting is a distorted version of your own voice. So when you're talking, what you're actually hearing isn't the way you sound. Well, I didn't know that either. Did you? I thought I'd told you loads of times. I never listened to you. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense because you're moving yeah. all this. Because you, you're moving and so all the bones in your ears are moving. And so it's distorting what you're hearing. But when you're listening to yourself on the radio or through a podcast, what you're hearing is that true sound. That's amazing. Well, hopefully you'll be really pleased with how you sound. I'm sure I will. <laughs> I'm sure I will. Like, ah. No, no, it's exciting. It's very exciting. And I think it's true for, for writers that you just, you have to start submitting and, and sending it out and getting a bit braver. Yeah. And, you know, see what happens then. Because yeah. the Why say with, no when you can say yes? Well, exactly, because the blog has been lovely, but it's been very much like nursery school. Do you know what I mean? I write something and I blog it and then only like my very best friends will bother reading it. And they they, of course, say, oh, well, that was lovely because they're your best friends, you know, so it's a very safe and it's nice and it's, it's a good practice. But now I think perhaps another step is to sort of put it out a bit wider and see what happens then. And maybe that'll do something and then it'll be fun as well. Well, you never know. I like this story. Yeah. Very much. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much, Ruth. Yeah. And when does it go out, Daisy? You're the mastermind, so is that? 15th. Right. Saturday, so midnight Friday. Yeah, it's a Saturday. Saturday, yeah. Midnight Friday, is that correct? Yeah, from midnight. A hard act to follow, that one, but follow it we will we have got sue hayward's story now the twitcher read to us by our fabulous april berry i decided to go to the local reservoir to see if i could find any unusual birds i padlocked my bike to the railings and headed towards the water's edge i could hear birds but really wasn't sure on the species so i walked up to the bank and made myself comfortable I got my flask of tea at the ready. It was going to be a long few hours. I could hear the water lapping in the shale. I reached to my side for my flask, noticed a movement. I reached for my camera and zoomed in. Yes, there was definitely movement. I could hear laughter and footsteps. Just kids messing around, or so I thought, until bang. I saw birds flying all directions and heard running feet just below me. So I peered over the bank from where I was hiding and saw an outline of a figure running back towards the path. I hid for a few minutes more, not relishing the idea of going to find out what I had heard. I made my way to the shore, the sun was setting and I could see a mound on the floor. I walked over and bent down to have a look. It was the body of a young girl and from what I could see it looked as though she had been shot. Good God, I said to myself, and ran back to where my belongings were. I picked up my camera and rucksack and ran back to the path. I checked my phone to see if I had a signal. Only just, so I phoned 999. The person on the other end of the phone asked me what service I required, and I screamed down the phone that someone had got shot and needed help. Help is on the way, said the handler. Stay where you are. I walked to the car park and waited for the police to arrive. 
It didn't take them long with blue lights flashing and sirens blaring. The police parked the car and came over and introduced themselves to me. We then made our way back towards the shore, where I showed them the body of the girl. One policeman spoke on his radio while the other came back over to talk to me. What did I see? What did I hear? Was there a fight? I think I must have been in a state of shock because I couldn't speak and had started to shake. I heard more sirens behind me and someone came over to talk to me. He introduced himself as D.R. Cartwright. He took out his notebook and asked questions, so I told him what I had seen and heard. I was then driven home and told that I was needed at the station tomorrow at 10am to write a statement. The inspector then asked if he could take my camera and bag for any evidence that I might have captured on film, so I handed it all over. After breakfast the next morning, I took a slow walk to the police station. The events of yesterday were still whirling around in my mind. I walked into reception and gave the desk clerk my name, Mr Ford. I was told to sit and wait and someone would be with me shortly. At 10.15am the door to my left opened and it was D.I. Cartwright. Follow me Mr Ford, he said. I was taken into interview room one and was told to sit down. On the table were four evidence bags. They held my camera, my rucksack, a memory card and a gun. I was confused now, why a gun? I looked at the DI and he told me that I had some incriminating evidence, especially on my memory card. And would I have anything to tell them? I really wasn't sure what was going on now and had the beginning of a migraine which wasn't good. DR Cartwright told me he had some photos developed that were on my memory card and did I recognise these women? I wasn't sure what he was on about so he showed me. There were a few photos of birds and two of two women. Before and after they had been attacked. I looked closely at the first photo and realised that it was the same woman that I had seen on the lakeside. How could I have taken the photo? I asked myself. I was asked if I had a temper. Doesn't everyone? I replied. By this time my headache was raging and I stood up quickly and knocked my chair to the floor. An alarm button was pressed and the room became a hive of bodies. I heard the D.I. say, I'm arresting you with the murders of. He did tell me the names, but I couldn't grasp them. I was taken to a cell to calm down and the on-duty doctor was called. I was asked if I had ever heard voices. I answered that I did. I was also asked if my memory was lapsed. And yes, came my answer. The doctor gave me some tablets to take and told me to get some rest. Next day I was taken back to the interview room and was told that there had been a second body which had started to decompose. It was half buried near where I was on the bank. I was asked if I had known anything about it. I had a vague recollection but really wasn't sure. It was like looking through a mist. I was told that both the bodies had my DNA on them. I also heard on tape what the doctor had told me, how he thought I may have a split personality but would need tests to confirm it. The person that I saw running off could have been my alter ego running away after the killings. About a week after, however, I have to say that I lost track of time and days, I was due to go to court. I was hopefully going to say my version of events. But when the time came to have my say, 
I told the judge and jury what had happened, how I had bludgeoned the first woman and shot the other one. There was residue within my bag, so I really couldn't deny, let alone remember it. All I remember was the word guilty, and I remember no more. Thank you very much to Sue Hayward for the writing of that story. And I hope that uh, it continues, Sue, and we get some more submissions from you in the future. What have we got next, Daisy? Oh, last but not least, we have got Good Riddance, written by Carolyn Ward-Daniels and read to you by the author herself. Good Riddance, 2003. A soft clatter of mail hit the hall mat and Deborah went to collect it. A scattering of five envelopes made a smile. Christmas cards had that bitter sweetness of feeling glad that people remembered you and the sadness of one's arriving with a name missing. She had that experience this time. The envelopes addressed to just Mrs Kemp as Mr had pissed off with a vegetarian called Wanda who liked playing golf. Wanda was obviously the 19th hole, as all Keith's spare time was spent on the fairway. Deborah hadn't missed him every weekend spent alone. Better than having him taking up all the sofa and the remote control, filling the lounge with TV sports. Good riddance, she said, as she read another Mrs Kemp. I'll have a nicer 2004 without you. The next envelope, she knew, was from her brother. She recognised his neat capital letters. She slid out his card. It was a beautiful photograph, stuck on top to a shop-bought card. The picture made her sigh. It was a snow scene of an age-old country seat. The planks were distorted, one back rail fallen loose with time and wear. They looked so wonderful, trimmed with snow and perched on one end was a robin. Just visible in the distance was a steeple. I know where this is, she said, her mind zipping back to 30 years ago. She was sure that was the seat she spent many hours snuggling and kissing her first love, Stuart. They were only 17 then, and she thought he would ask her to marry him, and they would live happy ever after. They spent so much time there, they called it Our Seat. As she stared at the photograph, her memories blossomed of her and Stuart, hand in hand, dawdling up Badger's Lane to that very spot. She remembered being jealous of other girls hung around him at school. Then they left school, got jobs, the proposal never came, and Stuart seemed more interested in his motor scooter than her. Now she had a grown-up son of her own. She knew how lads were passionate about the first motor. She watched it happen. She witnessed girlfriends being ignored because charging a car battery was more important and so was polishing wheel trims. She remembered her own shallowness now when all those years ago she was tempted away from Stuart and his Lambretta by Keith and his Ford Cortina. Oh, the regret she nursed for years but getting pregnant didn't allow a change of mind. The phone rang. It was her brother. Hello, Jason. I've just this minute opened your lovely Christmas card. I was so pleased with the photo. 
especially as the snow didn't last. So glad I got the shot. I photoshopped the robin, though, but it works. It does. This is up Badger's Lane, isn't it? Yep. I went up there hoping for some nice pictures. I haven't been there since before Mum passed. Neither have I. I must go and have a walk. Well, it's not changed. You know what? It's a fine day. I might just go there now. On the drive, Deborah could visualise the seat how it used to be all those years ago. Jason's photo showed it worn out. She said out loud, Am I stupid driving all this way to look at a sodding seat? She drove past where she had lived all her childhood and then Stuart's parents' house. She slowed, wondering if they still lived there, a mind to be visiting. Would she recognise him? She really wanted to see their seat now. She parked near to Badger's Lane. The winter sun invited her out of her car. It hadn't changed. The hedgerows of Hawthorne, older than her, still fenced the fields. The lane, a twin of tractor-wheel ruts, leaving a central hump of grass, the same as it always was. The seat was coming into view, and Deborah felt a pang of nostalgia, a feeling of lost love. Our seat looked a bit forlorn, with a broken back. The wooden planks were weather-worn and smooth, but still it looked inviting. She stepped closer and was disappointed that someone had carved something in the seat. Her displeasure melted when she saw it was a neat heart, but split down the middle. In one half was an S, in the other a D. She figured the gap in the middle was for an A. Her finger traced the carving and it felt more recent, not worn like the rest of the wood. Realising the letters were initials, she stared at the S, thinking, could it possibly have been Stuart? Is this D for me? This was done recently. If this was a message she was supposed to see, she had to do something. With a biro, she joined the tips of the heart together and felt most satisfied. She sat thinking about Stuart and felt sad that she hadn't spent her life with him. If she could just go back to 1970. All over Christmas, she thought about that carved heart. And as she sang Old Lang Syne on New Year's Eve, she decided the following day she would visit their seat again. Well, when most people were nursing hangovers, Deborah was striding up Badger's Lane, her breath purling before her. She reached the seat just as the low winter sun licked it, and she honed in on the heart. Her own heart skipped. Underneath the heart was a date in Biro, 1970. Her heart drummed faster. It just had to be him. She spent 20 minutes hoping for him to appear. She knew it was too much to hope for and left. As she neared the bottom of the lane, she heard and saw a vintage motor scooter pull up. 2004 was going to be a good year. I love Wanda being the 19th old. That made me laugh. It did me as well. I was laughing the whole of the way through it. <laughs> that was inspired, that was.
it's funny because knowing that that story was inspired by that bench up by me. Up by you? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because is, is that where the painting was done from, Dave? Yeah. Yes. We went for a walk. It's um, lots of stony clouds. Stony clouds, top of Sandy Acre. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bench up. Well, it's not there anymore, but there was a bench up there. And we used to go and walk up there and it was dropping to bits. So that picture originally came from a photograph we took of the bench before they pulled it out. Oh, that's really weird, isn't it? Yeah. So your story is like reliving it because it is it is actually there and it is on a walk. Oh, I say. So. And if you sit on the bench, you can see right out over to Crite and to Kimberley and right the way over. You can see Crite stand from that bench. Really? Yeah. Oh, say. And they've pulled my beautiful old bench out and put a new one in. I can't remember when they did it, but because it was there at the beginning of lockdown, because my mate from work used to walk up to the nature reserve with her girls to get some exercise and call for me as, as they came past the end of the gate. Yeah, but I can remember originally, Daisy, you'd done a picture of that. Yeah. Like, not, not a winter scene. And I can remember seeing it and saying, oh, God, there's a story. Like, who sat on that bench? You know, what happened? All those conversations that must have happened. And and, I, and now the other thing was, when Jane Love did her first one, Bear, and it, it mentioned a seat on a walk, and, and it, I remember, I just... I thought, do you know what? That could have been that inspiration as well. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. But the winter, the, the Robin things that you've done, I absolutely love. And, and that one, it was just, that was it. Ping, you know, there's the story. Oh, I'm dead chuffed. Absolutely. Over the moon. I am, because I could envisage the bench as you were reading the story. Oh, that's really interesting to know that. <laughs> Lovely. That's brilliant. Thank you ever so much for coming on. Oh, bless you. A good story, as usual. Right, so what have we got coming up next week then, Daisy? We're doing a book review on the 30th of the month. And the book that we are reviewing is called Paper Castles, and it was written by B. Fox. And we are both going to be reviewing this because we have decided in our infinite wisdom that we like it best when we read the same book because we very seldom agree and it makes for interesting conversation. Yeah, we've had a previous discussion about this book, haven't we? And I absolutely know we're not going to agree this time. <laughs> no, we're not going to agree. Um, we are also going to have a little bit of Q&A with the author in an alternative way because we're not actually doing an interview. So come on, then. They've agreed to do what? What are they going to do? That Now I don't know this bit. What are they going to do? So because we're not doing an actual interview with the author, what we are going to do is send some questions over and the author will answer them. And maybe we'll do a little bit of role play. No, not really. Why not? Because role play is either really hated or not for public consumption. What sort of role play do you... Never mind. No, <laughs> what sort of role play you do? <laughs> Not anything good by the sounds of that. I was just making an observation. I didn't say I partook of the role play. I'm just giving you people's observations. It's either horrible and it's embarrassing or it's not for public consumption. Mm -hmm. What do you do that's embarrassing? 
it's embarrassing and it's cringy and it's not nice. Anywho, we will have some questions for the author that they will answer. I've got a question for you now. Uh-oh. You wanted to know what kind of role play was the cringy stuff, so you obviously know about the other stuff. <laughs> I say nothing. I take the Fifth Amendment in all cases. Yeah, we're not in America, so you can't do that. I can do what I like. I am the boss. Of what? Um, My own life. <laughs> Yourself and your dog? <laughs> yeah. Me and Ruby. Yeah. I am the boss of me and Ruby. And sometimes I'm not sure that's actually true. I think Ruby's actually the boss. Ruby's the boss of you. Yeah. So anyway, we are reviewing Paper Castles by B. Fox on the 30th of this month. And just as a reminder, the way that season five is shaping up is we will be doing flash fiction on the 15th of every month. And we will be reviewing indie books at the end of every month just to make sure everybody is up to speed and knows exactly where we're at. And look out on social media because I am going to be posting the prompt for the next Flash Fiction any day now. So make sure you go and have a look at that. We are expecting at least triple figures for this one. Wicked. See you in a couple of weeks, guys. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk.